I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Tears of Eden, a nonprofit supporting survivors of spiritual abuse from evangelical communities and home of the Uncertain podcast, is hosting its first in-person retreat con October 20th through 22nd. This retreat con will have the intimacy of a retreat with the intentionality of a conference. In partnership with the I Got Out movement, the retreat con will also feature a special event story slam highlighting survivor stories live and in person. Registration is currently open and spots are limited, so don't miss out. Sign up with the link in the show notes. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by the generosity of listeners like you. If you'd like to see the work of Tears of Eden continue, consider giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly supporter. You can do that by visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Francina Kahl is the founder and CEO of Be Still Tea a tea company that encourages stillness, creating space for our stories, and connecting with others and ourselves. In this episode, we discuss invisibility and otherness in the church, the importance of being able to sit with our own stories so we can sit with the stories of others, and racial trauma and what it's like to be a black body in a white space. Here's my interview with Francina Call. The conversation that we had had on Instagram had to do with showing up as a Black body in white evangelical spaces and that experience. And I know for myself, as a woman and a trauma survivor and abuse survivor in church spaces, there were always like questions that I wished people would ask me. And just just to show that they cared. And the fact that like, There was no interest whatsoever. There was no pursuit of me or or understanding of that experience or desire to understand that experience. That was where a lot of the trauma came from. (laughs) Of just like they don't they don't get it and they don't want to get it. And and so I was wondering, or they just assumed they already knew. That was also part of it. So I was wondering if there were any questions. If that, if that experience was the same for you, and if there were like questions that you were like, I wish somebody would ask me this. I wish somebody would well, care about this. First of all, I want you to know I have had and continue to have the same experience. Mm-hmm. There is definitely a sense of almost invisibility. I feel like being a black woman in church, and if you are a, a huge minority, which I was in a lot of churches, like at PCC, at the church that we were going to. I mean, I was one of the very few, and for sure, nobody cares about my experience in that collective. And I've just been going through that exact same experience right now. I've been doing a lot of just personal healing work for myself around racial trauma and recognizing how. I feel as a Christian, the the underbelly of racism got its roots in the church where they would pop up a verse that made it okay for people to have slaves. It's mm-hmm. in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. So that culture is perpetuated in the spaces where it gave people permission to continue to treat us as other. It's not going to change simply because of my presence 
and people don't even have the awareness <laughs> right. to think that, huh, I wonder if she's having a different experience than I am. They don't, it, it's <laughs> not even in the realm of like consciousness for people because it has always been about white comfort in the mm-hmm. church. And that is why conversations around race don't even happen in the church. In fact, they're trying to eviscerate them, take them out of the schools so it doesn't even come up in conservative circles. Mm-hmm. And so, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, it's been my whole existence, my whole experience. I mean, after George Floyd was killed, I had maybe two friends that I knew who said, oh my gosh, friend, I didn't, I had no idea. Mm. Only two. Two. (laughs) Mm. That came and said, I'm so sorry. I never, we never even talked about this. I never asked you about your experience. So yeah, it is, it is a, it is a crushing realization that I belong to. So yeah, I mean, I think that yeah, and I basically kind of said my piece. I think it's hard. It's hard being black in America right now. It's hard recognizing that the salvation story, yes, there's a common thread of all, all of us have that salvation, but our experiences in our salvation in the communities that are supposed to be safe for all people aren't safe for people that look like us. Mm-hmm. And that's just a truth that a lot of people don't want to sit with. Right. That or whatever. And I think that honestly, real, real transformative healing will begin happening in the church when people allow themselves, first of all, to sit with their stories around how they actually grew up and what stories they were told and what narratives they were immersed in around black bodies. And then second, if you can sit with your own story, then you have the capacity to sit with another person's story. Mm hmm. They can't even sit with my story because nobody's sitting with their own story. <laughs> it's true. It's true. What would you say are, were some of the messages, either implicit or explicit, that you received directly from the church or Christian culture about yourself? That what I needed and what I wanted wasn't important enough for them to address or take seriously. I feel like a big, I'm a musician. My husband's a musician. We've done music all of our lives. All of our children do music. And we've served. I've sang at many churches, including PCC with Mark. And every time I would ask for us to also do gospel music or music that related and helped us to also feel like we're part of the congregation, they would always say, well, you know, we're not that church. Like, Mm -hmm. you know. Or they'd say people in the church don't really, you know, that's not what they're here for. They're here for a contemporary, contemporary, you know, church. And, you know, we don't really do gospel music here. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's okay for them to have hymns. That's acceptable. Mm -hmm. But to put a gospel song on there was too much. In fact, at our current church we had been going to, we've stopped going there now. The pastor would always, whenever we'd have these conversations, he'd say, well, you know, whenever we try to do a gospel song, we have white people who come to us and say, why are you doing this kind of music? That's not what I'm here for. And then we have black people that come and say, you guys aren't a gospel church. Why are you trying to do gospel music? (laughs) And my response to him is always, and like your stance as a church to say, we welcome all people and we will sing all the spectrum of, you know, music that worships God so that 
anybody that comes into the church can feel represented in how we worship God. Mm-hmm. It's not about the response of people or the feedback that you get from random people. Right. <laughs> you know, a church of like 5,000 people, you got three people that said, why are you playing gospel music? And then you use that to say, well, your experience of feeling represented in our congregation is not that important because we don't want to get complaints from people. Like, do you understand uh-huh. how, like, totally, you know, it just, uh-huh. it just reinforces yeah. that it'll matter. <laughs> well, yeah. And also I just, I see a little bit of arrogance in that too, of like them, them making the call. That's right. And you probably have a better understanding of, of how to make that call. And yeah, just, a, just a, an invisibility and just like sidelining of your experience. Girl, let me tell you, right after George Floyd was killed, our church, like many churches, everybody went and bought Latasha Morrison's book, Be the Bridge. They had the whole staff read the book. They started the Be the Bridge group. They asked me, being one of the few black people in the church, to be in the group because it would be really strange to have a bunch of white people leading the <laughs> You know, a, a, a study right. on, around race. I was in two sessions that spanned over a year with the same group of people. We read two books, and every time the other black woman who was in the group, they're ushers and they help to like you know lead people in and show them where to sit. This woman said, "I get my worship on at home." Mm-hmm. I don't do my worship at the church. I get my worship on at home. I've got my gospel music. I get my worship on in the car. And then when I come to church, I'm ready to serve. Mm-hmm. And not a damn person in the leadership heard her story and thought, wow, that's weird. <laughs> she gets her worship on at home when we're supposed to be all worshiping together. It doesn't occur to them. It doesn't occur to them because it's not why they're there. The structure was not built for actual fellowship and community of all of the races, of all the people. Yeah. It was really about a select group. And so when a woman shares her story about not being able to get her worship on in the church, it's not a moment for them to pause and think, what can we do? Because I wonder if there's someone else who could be thinking the same thing. Absolutely. And even her saying, I know when I get here, I'm here to serve is a conditioning of like, uh-huh. that's what I'm supposed to do at church is serve. And and uh-huh. that messaging of like, uh-huh. not this is a mutual serving. We serve one another. Uh-huh. <laughs> not I am here to serve, which is is a, a trauma that's inflicted on a lot of people in, in church spaces. But with, with the story, the story of black people in America, especially like that, that, I mean, that message is going to be internalized and just exacerbated because of that story. Wow. Our pastor could not even say the words black lives matter hmm. without it becoming, oh, that was a political statement. This is not, you know, and yet the black bodies needed to hear their pastor say that. And this is how the vision of our church needs to be focused on making sure that our brothers and sisters know that we're with them. And he said it one time in a service, was literally almost eviscerated and never said it again. 
then everything just kind of stopped. Like he had started meeting with us at this particular church we were going to, and then he just stopped. Mm. He didn't, you know, as soon as we stopped reaching out, he, even though when we met, he said, Oh, I'm so grateful for this time. And you know, this really helps me, blah, blah, blah. And I, in my mind, I wonder if it was just a checkoff to say mm. I people. And so I can absolve myself of having to actually make waves. And interesting, our, our current, our, our old church just made a, a 10 year plan, right? And now we're not going there, but my high schooler does music in the high school ministry. And she came back after the last time she was serving and she was like, mom, oh, I'm just so down. I was like, what's the matter? She said, they talked about their 10 year plan. And they listed all these things. Now, mind you, this is my 16-year-old, okay? This is her processing of this. She said they talked about the rescue mission. They talked about this mission and this organization they're going to support. And they're going to do, you know, some kind of Bible college thing. And nothing in the 10-year plan included racial equity education. Mm, that's really, that's really, really sad. It because is. Because of what a huge conversation it is right now. It's a massive conversation happening in the church specifically. Right. That's not, not even that church. Not happening at that church. <laughs> Their ten-year plan has nothing. So much so that my teenage sixteen-year-old daughter. Do you know how gut-wrenching that is for me? Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure it's very discouraging too because you just you just wanted to be different. You know, your experience is one thing and then you want your kids to have a different experience and probably work really hard so that they do have a different experience and then see them having that same experience again. Yeah. She's recognizing that we are not part of any conversation there. Mm -hmm. And and that it can't be. and, and, And this is actually a really important point, I feel like. The politicization of this has given people a pass. To not have to deal with this. Yeah. And so you will hear story after story of, you know, people who show up in spaces, feel like something isn't right, but has nobody to talk to. Because if you talk about it, oh, it's just whatever. And this is made for it. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so yeah, it's hard. It's hard to feel noticed it's hard to and it's not so much that you know it's all about us and we want to be noticed or whatever but our stories matter absolutely right our stories matter and i think that it's important like at a church that big i don't ever remember them having a black woman come and speak for anything for the women's gatherings for and there's plenty Mm -hmm. it's good I was invited once to speak at a mops thing and I'm like, why, why am I one of the few black people who've ever spoken here? (laughs) Like that is the culture. I wonder if it's a similar, this is what, this is what I was told in seminary when I asked why, why all of the books that we read were white male authors. (laughs) I asked it a couple times. I want to hear this. (laughs) The response was like, oh, you know, 
you're right, you're right. We need more minority voices. We need more female voices. But it's just hard. It's just hard to find someone that just writes in our theological vein. You know, they just don't write in our theological vein. That was not a red flag for them to be like, maybe there's something wrong with our theological vein. It's like, no, we are orthodox and we're right. And these people are going over to these places because they're not right. And their theology is incorrect. Therefore, that's why they're not here. That was, it was such an othering, such an othering posture, (laughs) such an othering posture. That's probably what they're thinking. That was what I was told. (laughs) I mean, I I also just want to add too, that if you have a theological vein, (laughs) (laughs) are they they biblical veins? Like, I I don't know. Am I, am I crazy? Like, what, what is it? (laughs) What is actually, as soon as you hear our anything, (laughs) we have now extricated, really, Jesus out of whatever it is you're doing. Because it's and you're saying you. you can come and you can be a part and oh maybe we'll even let you lead, but you have to do it in our way, and you've got to fit in these boxes. And by sheer experience. Most black people are not going to fit into white evangelical boxes. It's just not going to work because of the way it is designed. As you mentioned earlier, what it is built on, the foundation that it's built on, that we're not even really acknowledging. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I could give you lots of stories, but here's a funny story. I had been leading worship at this church for a long time and I always would put makeup on my face when, when it was time to sing. this church was huge and you know, they had the whole lights, camera action, they had lighting, they had video, like all of the whole thing. And so one time I was leading, I was like, Oh man, I left my makeup bag at, at home. So I was just like, Oh, well, it's going to be lip gloss today. And this white woman was leading with me was like, Oh, you can use mine. <laughs> she didn't even get it. And then she's like, Oh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I always say that I, you can tell the culture of the church around bodies of color and people of color by if you are involved, and you are very, very involved at this church and you step away, you have people that look in on you and make sure that you're okay. You have people that follow through and say, hey, you guys doing okay? We miss you guys. You know, like, because then for me, when you step away and nothing happens, that I feel like then you were just a token black person that helped them not look racist. And that's how I feel like it was for us. Like we walked away. We hadn't been to church in like a year. I remember coming back for Easter service one time because we just didn't know where to go. Where we live was just very conservative and not a lot of spaces where there's churches that we would feel seen in mm-hmm. and i run into the same worship leader she sees me in the parking lot and she goes wow your outfit is on brand with our logo for easter yeah. and I'm like that's what you're gonna say to me you haven't seen me in a year yeah like, how i'm doing you're commenting that my outfit is on brand with the logo and that i got the memo and that was that. Mm. So how can That's you what said. four years of your life, right? And your family and all of that 
serving people who don't notice when you're gone. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing then? Right. 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 I think that our faith needs to be about a bigger kind of love that really is there to witness people in all of their stories, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's stuff that people don't want. They don't want to be uncomfortable. And my story, me sharing my story, me sharing my experience, is uncomfortable making, and I feel like it's necessary for progress to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's... Oh, yeah, it's true. How do you teach that when you have older white men, mostly leading churches, that are doing things a certain kind of way, have done it a certain kind of way, and it's 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 a posture of how dare you try to tell us that the way we've been doing it isn't right. And I'm right. like, no, I'm not telling you that what you've been doing isn't right, but I'm saying this is my experience. Mm-hmm. And if we're creating a church culture that is for everyone, mm-hmm. then we need to get our egos out of the way and our attachment to the way we've always done it has mm-hmm. to take a back seat to how, what is the collective, you know, congregation looking like and what are the stories of the people that we're here to heal, to, to witness, to love, to share the love of Christ. Because Jesus was for everybody. He was for everybody. He wasn't talking about, you know, in fact, if you look through the stories of the Bible, he's talking about the stories of people. Their stories. Yeah, it is a very, wow. very story driven. Very story driven. It's not preaching yeah. and do this and do yeah. that and yeah, yeah, it's very story driven. You mentioned that sharing your story is the, is the only way that we're going to really have changes. People like having opportunities to share their stories and their experience so that people will learn. What do you? What is your your posture towards? Because I know when the George, George Floyd thing happened, a lot of Black people kind of got inundated by questions. And, and I, the stories that I've heard about the inundation, it was very, still very like white centered, like I need my anxiety eased. And so I'm coming to you, my one black friend to get my, (laughs) to, to get my, my answers, you get my questions answered. And so there was a big push to like, go to experts. There are people who have written about this. There are Instagram accounts. There are, you know, people who are talking about this, like go to them. Don't put this burden on your friends and don't, don't put this on, on, on. Yeah. Just like kind of leave people alone <laughs> was basically kind of, kind of. And so there's those, those two poles. What would you say is, is a helpful posture? What have you found helpful? Have you had anyone pursue you in a way that you felt, you felt like you could share your story in a way that they were really listening and you didn't feel like you were having to do their work for them. So I have found that, first of all, I have been the token black person for a lot of people in the Christian circles, right? Like a lot of them couldn't name a lot of black people that they had friends with and and I would be the one that they would mention. But that said, I have found that the most meaningful shares or conversations I've had with people that wanted to talk about race were with people that had already done their own work Mm. that were reading books and would come to me and say I have been reading this book and I'm shocked that I had no idea about this Mm -hmm. and I would love to hear your story around this that is a posture of dang I am aware Mm -hmm. now and not the totality of it all but I am aware now because mm-hmm. I've done the work of reading. 
The worst kind of conversations are people who've done no reading and just come and pepper you with questions that are devil's advocate-y. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, this happened to me. I was in a Bible study that I was in, and the Bible study leader, like her job was to check on it, check on us. And she called me and I said, I am not doing well. And she goes, oh, why? So first of all, she was so tone deaf, like George Floyd had just died. All this stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. So I told her that, you know, anytime a black person gets killed that was unarmed and wasn't harming anybody, it's a hard day. And then she said, well, you know, I mean, it is really sad, but I mean, I heard that he was not even a noble man. Like he was, and she started like rattling off all this stuff about George Floyd so, you know, I'm just saying, like, you know, sure, he shouldn't have died, but, like, you know, it wasn't like he was a good man, as if he deserved mm-hmm. it. And it's complete, like, pfft. I had to just say, I'm sorry, I got to get off this call. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So that's the worst kind. And that's a Bible study leader, right? Yeah. In church and everything. I definitely think that. She just wasn't even able to sit with you in your pain. You're, you said, I have a, I'm having a hard day. This is why she wasn't even able to. Oh, she, she didn't stop there. Like she started listing all these protests that have happened and how they're destroying stuff and da da da. And she made it about all that. And if I was to say anything to anybody here, you know, whoever's listening, if you're a white body and you haven't picked up a book written by a black person and listened or heard the story of somebody, I mean, you know, there's so many books. I'm still here. It's actually written by. Austin Channing Brown, who is a black woman in a church sharing the story of her experience in the church. You know, if you haven't read those stories, if you're not reading books written by people of color, then then you're not really interested in learning anything and going to a black person in that case is a burden for sure. I know that I'm different because I do welcome conversation. I do welcome dialogue because I feel like conversations with people who really have a heart open posture can be productive for sure. But I still think that people need to do the work recognizing that white people don't have to do anything, technically speaking, because it doesn't affect them. You could do nothing about race in your life. You could be not, you can be unconscious about who you buy from, what you amplify, the books that you read, what shows you watch. You can do all of that in your life, will not change. But if you are a Christian and you are committed to equality for all, and you choose to do the work, which I think is what is necessary for actual transformative change to happen, right? You're sick of seeing people getting killed and you're like, I wish things would get better. We should just pray. You can also do something. Everyone just needs the gospel. I know. I mean, yes, we do need the gospel, but I think the gospel also informs us to show up in those spaces in love. And part of showing up in love is is being able to witness. So, yeah, there's Google University. You can sign up for courses. I just took a course with Resna Menicum, amazing teacher, amazing teacher. And he does a class that is for white bodies and he does a class that's for black bodies. And you get a white teacher and you can ask all your white questions around race and learn all the stuff away from people of color so you can feel comfortable really exploring all of that, unpacking all of that stuff. And, and, there, and he's not the only one. There's many. Do the work of learning, 
what the underside of racism in America actually looks like, where its roots came from, and how it's developed. And if you feel like you have a good relationship, not a relationship where you invite them periodically for Thanksgiving or you they come to your barbecue, you know, like a relationship that takes work, that takes an investment, listening to the stories of people. You will learn so much just by listening to people's stories. Mm-hmm. And for me as a black woman, I have done the work now of learning that not every person I meet has earned the right to hear my story. Amen. Other parts of my story too, because I recognize that I used to be of the persuasion that I should just share my story with anybody because it could impact, it could make a difference, whatever. And I really believe in making a difference, right? I love making a difference. I think that's what we're here for. But like I had a, a really good friend that I've known for years who had been telling her the stories of race and how it's impacting my family and my children and the stories that my kids, I mean, my middle schoolers are asked by their friends at school, can you give me a pass to use the N-word? These are white kids who are asking my brown children for a pass to use the N-word. Like, do you understand? They know that it's a bad enough word that they have to ask for a pass to use it. And my question is what conversations are happening at home? None. Mm-hmm. If you don't have black people in your life where this conversation could even come up and your kids have the opportunity to understand what does the N-word even mean, where it came from, and why we shouldn't even be talking about this, then we're not, you know, it's just, it's just passing mm-hmm. on. But I, for two years, been sharing the stories. My really deeply wounded sacred, really, stories around how race was impacting my family on a daily basis. And I recommended all these books, and she bought all the books. And then I had this sort of lightning bolt moment a few months ago. I went to visit her, and we're talking about race again. And she's giving me this answer, and I'm like, have you read the books? She goes, yeah, I still haven't gotten to it. In two years? Wow. None of them. She hadn't read any of them. None of them. And she's a Christian, right? And I was recommending Christian books. They're Christian books. Like Wide Awake is a great one. That one is written, I think, by a white man. So for white people who feel like, oh, I don't want to read a black person's book, read a white man's book. Like, you know, whatever. But she had done zero work and was hanging on. Well, I've learned a lot from our conversations. That's extraordinary. That's attractive. That is... You can't learn all there is to learn about racist structures in this country by simply having conversations with a black person. Mm-hmm. That's not. And you handed it to her on a silver platter. Like you gave her, these are the books. Read yeah. these books. You did her work. All she had to do was like, <laughs> open the book. Yeah. Mm. And so I had to ask her to give me some space because this doesn't feel safe anymore. Good for you. Yeah. I had to ask her. I was like, I need some space because what am I doing? This is not a this is not a relationship. Absolutely. You love me and you love my family and we all believe in the same gospel and you're living a different existence than I am. You're listening to my stories and every time I share my story, she would cry and say, I just don't understand why you would be going through this. And I, this last time I stopped her, I said, you need to start understanding that it is my reality. So that things can change. Yeah. Because if you keep saying, I just can't believe, well, it's not going to change until you believe it. Mm-hmm. For every white person who said to me, 
I just can't believe that in this day and age, believe it. Mm-hmm. Because it's still happening. It can happen. It's very real. It's very real and present. Yeah. And that's what stops people from going to, because if you're stuck in unbelief, then progress can't happen. Mm-hmm. It's when you accept the reality for what it is. I've accepted it and I'm trying to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Right? Are you believing what I'm witnessing? Are you believing, you know, all the people who are traumatized when they when they watch someone getting shot? Yeah. Believing that? If you believe it, then you can be part of the solution. Don't come talk to your black friends about it. Right. <laughs> and And make them and make them comfort you in your grief. Exactly. Yeah. Anything. If you have a black friend, you're on this podcast, if you have a black friend and somebody gets shot in the news or somebody gets killed, call your black friend and say, I am here if you want to talk. I just witnessed that such and such happened in the news. And if you're having a hard time, I just want you to know that I'm here and I'm grieving with you. That is witnessing the person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people get stuck in the, I don't, I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. You know what? Let your well, don't say it if you don't mean it. Like, well, not just that. You're not uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> if you're uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is uncomfortable to do that. But that level of vulnerability and care is to simply express that this hurts. And you can't imagine as a black body what I must be going through if it's mm-hmm. happening, right? Mm-hmm. And you're here for it. And you don't know all, you know, I can't fix this. But I can be here. I can witness you. And if you want to talk, I'm here for you. That black person can make a decision. Right. They don't, they don't have to receive it. They yes. can ignore it. Yes. But yes. you've done something to recognize that it's not about you and your comfort. Mm-hmm. Because trust me, I mean, maybe there's a handful of black folks out there that don't care when a black person is sharp. I don't know. But collectively, we all go through some kind of trauma. Yeah. Because if that gets shot, I'm thinking about my babies. Yeah. And if this is still happening, it could happen to anybody. Right. Yeah. You said earlier something about politis- the politi- politicization of this conversation has allowed people to dismiss the conversation. There, I mean, it had to become political because there needed to be systemic change and there need to be needed to be addressed systemically but then but then that's allowing people to just sort of dismiss it as like well it's like a liberal issue or it is the you know whatever what are i don't even know what i'm asking here i know what you're asking (laughs) what what am i asking here (laughs) i think what you're asking me is yes certain groups of people made it political to dismiss it because they were going to put it in the camp that is bad. But in reality, it does need to be part of politics because it needs to be changed on a bigger level than just, you know. And so what level of politicization is the right amount or the good kind or whatever you want to call it? And and sadly, I, I honestly, I mean... I'm just feeling into my body right now, so I answer this. I think that, honestly, in the church, we don't need to talk about it as a political thing. It just needs to be human. Yeah, I don't think it needs to be politicized. Because, you know, for the context of this podcast, and we're talking about church specifically, 
for the Christian organization or whatever, I don't think that the conversation about race needs to be politicized. I think outside the church, heck yeah, because there needs to be equality, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But the conversation itself in the church is a human conversation. Mm-hmm. It's a conversation about witnessing people. It's a conversation about loving people. It's a conversation about sitting with the reality that groups of people that all worship together are having very different life experiences mm-hmm. in the same congregation. Yeah. I think that as soon as politics enters the church, it's a hot mess. That's what it is. And that's what we're all experiencing. It gives Christians a pass to say, we don't have to deal with this because it's a leftist issue. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's okay to bring abortion into the conversation. <laughs> right. Right? So a pastor... So if a pastor were to stand up in a pulpit and say Black Lives Matter and then follow that up with, that is not a political statement. That is a human statement. That is not a political statement. That is a human statement. Black lives do matter. That that would be different than than using it as a like a political. I don't even know. I don't, I don't. What's really distressing to me is our pastors across this country can't say Black Lives Matter. But they can all be grateful that Roe versus Wade was overturned at the pulpit. Right. So pro-lifeness is not just about unborn children. Right. It's about the mother. It's about people whose lives are not being held to the same level of sacredness as other people's lives. I think that, and a lot of Christians will say that saying the statement Black Lives Matter is very divisive and it shouldn't even be uttered in the church. And I think that it needs to be said and people need to sit with how uncomfortable that makes them. Because if you can answer the question of why does Black Lives Matter, that statement, why does it make you so uncomfortable? Then you will get to the depth of the underbelly of what keeps the systems exactly as they are. Mm-hmm. And every time people want to blanket over it and say, all lives matter. And my response is, all lives matter when Black lives matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I mean, this goes around social media all the time. People ask the question, this woman was asking the question, how many of you in this room would be okay to have your children treated the way that Black people in America are treated? Right. And tell nobody put their hand up. So they know. They know. And so why is it difficult for people to sit with the statement, not the political you know, organization or whatever, you know, it's not even, it's not even a political organization. It's just, there is an organization called Black Lives Matter. Yes. But why is it difficult for people to sit with that statement and yet know enough to not raise their hand when they're asked, would they want to live in a world where they are treated the way African-Americans are treated in this country? And if you're listening to this podcast and you're feeling some kind of churning in your stomach, Sit with that, right. because that's why that's why we need to have the statement. If you know that you don't want it for your family, but it's okay for them, and it's okay for them to the degree that we can't even say the statement, mm-hmm. then then we all really need some Jesus, honey. <laughs> right. I listen to. Do you know who the liturgists are? No, I don't. I listen. Liturgist had a. A podcast special beginning of 2020 called Black History is American History. And it was, it was amazing. They did a really, really good job with it. But it was also just like tragic. Like, Black people didn't just get erased. Our whole history got erased. Like, there are some pretty significant things 
that black people invented <laughs> and That's created right. and 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 we have because of black people that we don't know is here because of black people and and I'm like I was like listening to her I was like this was not the history that I I was taught yeah. I did not learn this history in school I I got some of it in college but mostly because I took electives not because not because it was part of the mainstream curriculum and yeah it was just tragic how much we have erased our whole history our collective history and yeah i just i really appreciate you taking time to share even initiating with me that you would be interested in sharing i really appreciate it it's definitely something that the church just needs needs to do better it's just not it's just not okay and i really appreciate just everything that you do on your instagram and promoting self-care and just yeah like you just do you do some great things really admire you and i would love to just follow up with is there anything else that you would like to say as we are wrapping up anything that feels pressing i think if i'm speaking as a mother and it makes me emotional to think about it this way i want a better future for my children when they don't have to worry about being dismissed because of their color, the color of their skin, or put into a box, because they they must they must like to to listen to hip hop and 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 get down. Like some of my kids don't dance, I dance, and that's not you know like I want them to grow up without having stereotypes held over them, but to have this expansive life that is afforded to white bodies all over this country, all over this world, and. For that change to really be part of culture, people need to learn to sit with their stories so that they have the room and the capacity to sit with our stories. If you listen with your heart, then you won't be listening to respond with the devil's... The devil's got enough advocates, honey. (laughs) Don't become one of them. He doesn't need an advocate. It's okay to be uncomfortable. And this is part of my work on this planet, right? Is to invite people to sit and be still and listen. It is okay to be uncomfortable. And I hope that people, if you listen to this story, if you listen to this podcast and you think, oh my gosh, that made me so uncomfortable. Sit with that. There is learning to be had. There's messages that are within our discomfort. And if we all get comfortable sitting with what makes us uncomfortable, we can actually expand ourselves and grow. I'm not here to hurt anybody. I have no political agenda whatsoever. I just want that my kids have a future that I don't have to think, oh, because they're brown, I need to worry more. Mm -hmm. And the, the sad part for me as a black person is that I can't do it on my own. I actually need white people to do it with me. Mm-hmm. It has to be a collective partnership. It has to be everybody, not just black and white, you know, Asian, because they have their own story as well in the mm-hmm. church, unless they were going into mostly Asian churches, right? Hispanic people, like we all have that common thread and it's the story of our humanity. Mm-hmm. And unless we are all open to growing this together and healing this together, it's not going to change. It's not going to go away no matter how many vigils we have and how many people we're holding in prayer and how many gospel we just need. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. Well, you're still here. So what are we doing? 
<laughs> we're still here. Yeah. So, anyways, that's my little soapbox. Yeah. Just even just the the sitting with like I I can't do it by myself. Like when you said that, like yeah. What is it like to say that out loud? Just like I I need other people to do this. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard because as a woman, as a mother, I want to believe that there is nothing I can't give my children. Yeah. This is the one thing I can't give them because I need the community to come together to heal this. The system that is set up is set up the way that it is, which puts me in a position where I can't make this change by myself. Mm -hmm. I did a healing class, and I remember this one statement that stayed with me. Abuse and trauma happen in community. Healing needs to happen in community. We need community to do this. I mean, that's part of why Jesus gave us the church. But the church has kind of stopped. It's 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 like becoming community for certain people. Well, a community for all people means that we're all sitting with really uncomfortable stories. Mm-hmm. Right? This is not just a conversation about privilege. This is a conversation about, do you have an advantage over me? Mm-hmm. And do you have an advantage over me? What can you do to help me to have the same advantage that you have? Mm-hmm. And yes, it's going to cost white bodies something. It's going to cost you something. You may lose friends. You may lose money. You could lose something. But creating a climate or creating an environment where you're elevating everybody so we're all on the same level so we can actually get to a point where we say all lives matter and that, yeah. and we actually all matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not ostracizing someone else. <laughs> to say, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for this. To end on a on a fun question. Sure. Is a question I'd like to ask. Book, movie, song, TV show, work of art in general that means something to you right now. I'm reading this book. Her name is Dr. Thelma called Homecoming. Oh, Dr. Tama. Yes, that's it. Yes, I love her. She's so great. And her book is so healing and very aligning with the work that I do about us all coming back home into our bodies. And and I take it a step further in this conversation to say coming back into our bodies and sitting with our stories. Mm-hmm. So I'm loving that book. I love Bollywood movies. Bollywood. Oh, wow. I love Bollywood movies, but they're so long. Uh, <laughs> I have to watch them in like three days. Have you seen Bride and Prejudice? Heck yeah, I own the DVD, girl. I know. I, <laughs> I do too. <laughs> what the hell, why? Talk like, about a fun, talk about a movie that makes you laugh. And oh my gosh. Like, yeah. Delightfully lighthearted. <laughs> delightfully lighthearted. This is great. I really yeah. just asked this for myself because it gives me, give me, give me stuff that like, <laughs> <laughs> gives me stuff that I'm like, oh yeah, a couple of people like said music and stuff i was like oh man i never even heard of that song before what? oh yeah, so, yeah. No. don't you worry i mean i'm also listening pretty hard to beyonce's new album which renaissance so like an anthem for black people girl that was another renaissance was another someone and someone else i interviewed for the podcast told me about renaissance and i i had heard the the don't break my soul song because it's everywhere but i hadn't heard the whole album it's it's good it, it good. is yeah, and I'm not even like a huge diehard Beyonce fan. But, ooh, and I'm feeling bad, girl. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be alright. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm just really grateful for you. Grateful for your time. Thank you. I feel honored to be on this platform with you. And 
This is a story that I don't get to talk about very often because, honestly, a lot of times on my own platform, I struggle with talking about my Christian faith there mm. because of how un- unsafe I feel like Christianity is to a lot of people right now. <laughs> yeah. It's not a safe place for a lot of people, mm-hmm. including me. And I'm a Christian. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, this is a real treat for me to actually be able to share. I mean, it's still hard part of my story, but it's still my story. You know, we have found a church now that we drive an hour to get to. Wow. But, girl, we walked in. We were like, oh, like it? Mm-hmm. We are actually a church that, in their mission statement, they are, they are a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. And multi-ethnic is for reals. Like when it's Black History Month, they are actually offering classes and talks about Black history for reals. When it's Hispanic Heritage, they're offering classes and teaching around Hispanic culture and heritage. Like it's really lived. It's part of their culture. And we walked in and my kids all looked at me and said, Mom, this is it. Mm-hmm. And we just look at you and you can see it in their eyes that they feel a sense of homing. Mm-hmm. My 10-year-old was talking to the music pastor because we went to meet him and he was said to the guy, this one hour drive is worth it. Oh, wow. That is my 10 year old. That's huge. He gets car sick and throws up whenever we drive anywhere. He's telling the pastor that that one hour drive is worth it. Wow. So I'm like, shoot, we're about to drive. Mm, Absolutely. I can't create this kind of safety in the area that I live in. When right. people don't even want to sit with the stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, That's huge. It That's is. huge. It is. Yeah. And I definitely want to stay, stay, continue to hear about how your experience is there because <laughs> people, people will ask me about like, any safe churches that you recommend, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't got any right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, this is a good place. This is a good place. <laughs> this felt like a good place. This feels, they do the work. Of inclusion beautifully there. Mm. It's represented in their staff. It's represented in the congregation. I mean, there's literally every generation is there in every color you can imagine. Mm. What I envision heaven to look like. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I bet that's awesome. Yeah. But that's awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.